Now it is my honor, my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Brother Robert White. Sir, feel free to come and bring us the word. Set this up in the middle for you here. I'll even give you Mitch's cushy little stand here if you want. You get... Awesome. Love you, brother. Thanks for bringing the word. Looking forward to it. Amen. Good morning, uh, TWBC. How are y'all doing this morning? Oh, come on. There you go. I like Give me a little energy this morning. Y'all are the early crowd, so I know you're ready to hear the word. You woke up this morning saying, God, I, I know you got something for me in your house, and so I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there on time. I'm going to get me some coffee and a donut, and then I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit today. Come on, somebody. If that was you this morning, give God some praise. Amen. Listen, I want to give all honor and praise to God uh, for this opportunity to stand before you and to preach his word. I don't take it lightly. Standing especially in this particular place, in this particular, on this platform, uh, giving all praise and honor to God, but giving honor uh, to your pastor, Dr. Joel T. Meyer. Come on, give God praise for him. Amen. And I know that uh, it, it's been said, but he is doing a wonderful work over in Vietnam. And uh, when they told me he was doing, or he told me he was doing 13 messages in four days in three different conferences with all these people. I was feeling sorry for myself because I was preaching like something like 14 times in like eight days. And I was like, well, at least I got breaks. And this guy is going to be preaching all day and all night for four days straight. And so uh, we're going to pray his strength. Amen. And uh, to his lovely bride, we say, God bless you and honor. We honor you today. And uh, I want to recognize my wife. She's sitting here on the front row in this service. I get a chance to tell her that I love her publicly here in front of you all. Because uh, I don't know if she's going to be here. She's, she's, uh, she runs our, our children's uh, ministry at our church. And I think she wants to hang out with the kids next, uh, next service. So uh, I get to hang out with her this service. Uh, but I believe there's a word from the Lord. And I better jump right into that. Uh, because I don't want to waste any time. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And uh, I'm only going to read two verses in your hearing uh, just to kind of consider today as we continue the series, Jesus Company. Jesus Company. I know y'all have been uh, walking through this series called Jesus Company, and you've been uh, learning about how we are partners, amen? Somebody talk about being a partner uh, in, in the gospel ministry with God. We are co-heirs. We are commissioned. We are compensated. Come on, we talked about the job description and all of those things that have happened uh, within this particular series. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I was thinking about as I was coming to bring the message on community, we're going to talk about being a community of believers in the faith, it is that when we think about what it is that we're called to, there's one thing that we have to realize is that events and programs or even products don't change people, people do. That, that, that events and programs and products don't change people, but God uses people to help change people. 
that, that as a community of believers, it is our job to exemplify and, and, to, and to be an example of Christ to the people around us so that they can actually see what it is that Christ, the manufacturer, is producing and say, I want a part of that. And so if people are going to accept what's going on in the Jesus company, it's going to be because they see a community of believers so attractive, so united, so brought together that they're, they're jealous almost. They're envious of what it is that they see in us, that they desire to be like us, to be with us, to be for us, to walk alongside of us, to accomplish what it is that we're called to. And so as I thought about the community aspect of what we're doing, I, I have this, this scripture in my mind. And so I want to read it for you. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 simply says this. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Seems very simple. Two very short verses, but, but I promise you by the end, you're going to understand exactly where it is that we're going. I'm going to read it again for you. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Now, although these verses are really short, like I said, I believe that they hold the keys to each and every individual in this place, becoming the Jesus Company community uh, 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 person or citizen that you need to be. And if we look at these five things, I got five points and a few minutes, and so I need you to listen quickly. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I got five points and a few minutes, so I need you to listen quickly. And here's the thing. As we look at these points, these are the keys for us to become the community of faith, the people of God that actually exemplify his power in the earth and that shows off his goodness so that other people want to run and be a part of the company. Now, now, why is this important? Why is this important? Because this year we are at TWC realizing, come on somebody, eternal and community hope if we're going to realize it we don't realize it individually we, we don't realize it by ourselves we don't realize it in some uh, place of isolation we realize it together and then the acronym together as we realize it together we reach for others doesn't that in itself speak of community? Yeah. That, that, that as I realize it with you by my side, as I realize it in the company of other believers, as I realize it with, with the people who are around me, called to me, I then, with the strength of community, reach and grab somebody else. That's why everybody in this place is called, Pastor Joel's been teaching us, to reach somebody in 2017 for the God, with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Everybody in here has the mandate to reach somebody and to lead them to life in Christ. And so how are we going to do that? We're going to do that through these verses, these two short verses. Now, before I jump into the points on this verse, let me give you some context. Paul is closing his letter to the Corinthian church. Now, I know this church is no, no need for, for Bible lessons and, and, and history. I know I got Sunday school valedictorians and hermeneutic scholars all throughout this place. I know I got people who study their Bibles. I know I got people who, 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 who listen to Dr. T. Meyer every week, but I got to give you some context before I jump right in. Paul is closing his, letters to, his letter to the Corinthian church. This is a church that he says is a gifted church. Matter of fact, he says to this church that, that you fall short 
in no spiritual gift. That, that when he looks at this particular church, he says, hey, when I look at this church, I see the church that has everything that it needs to accomplish the call of God. He says, when I see this church, I see a church that has every single thing that it needs to fulfill the purpose, to reach out and to grab others and draw them into the community of faith. When I see this church, I see TWBC. When I see this church, I see a church that is full of gifted people, full of people with the right, with the right hearts, with the right, with the right gifts. But Paul also knew that with a lot of gifts and diversity, there comes a lot of issues. And so Paul in this letter had to deal with some things in here. He says, he says some of your practices are off. Some of your principles are misaligned. And I don't think that that's TWBC at all. I'm just giving you context to 1 Corinthians that Paul has dealt with their practices. He's given them principles. He's, he's, he's talked about the people. He's done everything that he needed to do. And then he gets to the end of the letter and he gives them these verses. Now, why do I say that these verses deal with community? Because Paul is also dealing with a very diverse church. In this first century, the Corinthian church was a church that was diverse. Watch this. In this church were both oppressors and the formerly oppressed. That, that in this church, watch this, you had both Romans and Jews. And if you know anything about that time, the Romans had oppressed the Jews. And now that they've both come to knowledge in Jesus Christ, they had no time to argue, fight, and hate one another. They had to come together, lay aside their differences, walk in the commonality of the blood of Jesus Christ, and accomplish the purpose that God had called them to. Can I talk to an American church in 2017? We've got no time to be divided. We've got no time to be arguing. We've got no time to be fighting over minutia. We need to come together under the commonality of the blood of Jesus Christ and present to the world a church, a bride, spotless, unified, ready to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, boy, and girl. This was also a very successful church. They were successful. This was one of the most thriving cities in its day. It was, it was, it was a port city. It was a place where, where, where people came and, and, and sold and, and traded and things were happening in this city. It was a thriving city. So no doubt there were different socioeconomic classes in this particular church. And they said, listen, Paul says, out of all the diverse things that are going on, he says, this is the advice that I'm going to give you in the end. This is the advice that I want you to follow. These are the things that I want you to do. This church made up of different races, different social classes, even different religious backgrounds. Some of us come from different denominational or even religious backgrounds here today. After all of this, Paul sets the record straight. He gives them this charge to close the letter. Again, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. I want you to be clear of what I'm going to preach because it's going to be real simple, but you got to catch it. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So as we go through this part of the series on community, I got five points. Real quick, if you're writing these down, if you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, go ahead and write these down. Number one. Number one, Paul tells us the first thing we ought to do is be alert. Be alert. The first word that comes out of Paul's mouth when he's giving them this benediction, this closing to 1 Corinthians, he says, watch. 
He says, watch. He tells them to watch. He says, he says, I need you to be alert. As a community of believers, this is what God is saying to us today. If we're going to be a community of believers, we've got to have a certain culture. Let me go back just a second and say this. These five things that I'm going to give you are the culture of the company. That, that, that there are sometimes when you read in leadership that there are sometimes when people have visions on the walls that you don't see down the hall. That, that, that what happens is that people get a statement in their mouth that they're not willing to mimic. That, that what happens is, is sometimes what we say with our words, we don't do with our work. I don't know how many more times to say it. This, this, this is the reality that sometimes we get a cute saying, but our, war, our, our work and our practices don't do it. And watch this. Culture trumps vision every day. Culture trumps vision every day. Because if we don't have the right culture, if the people in the community aren't doing what it takes to get the job done, then we can say we want something all we want. But our culture indicates something different. And we are what our culture says we are. This is why we as the church have to be countercultural to the world. Because if we settle in on the culture of the world, then we are what they are and not what God called us to be. And so these five things are the culture. And the first thing about our culture is that we have to be alert. We have to watch. We have to be on guard. Watch this. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, has his disciples in the garden uh, of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go and, and, and to reach his destiny, and that destiny includes crucifixion. We know very well that the Savior did not come to be made king on earth, that his kingdom was not of this world, but that he was going to die a gruesome death. And in his moments before he dies, he takes his disciples, and watch what he says in Matthew 26 and 41. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe this is an indication of what he wanted them to do in the garden and after he left. That it is time for you, guys, I'm getting ready to leave. I can't just babysit you and walk you through this stuff. You need to be alert of what's going on. He said, you got to be aware of what's happening around you. You got to have what my coach used to say in football, you got to have your head on a swivel. Any former football players in here, if you're running down the field and you're not paying attention to what's happening on the field, you'll end up with that concussion. You'll, you'll find yourself on the sideline dazed and confused, mommy. <laughs> because you weren't alert. You, you weren't aware of your surroundings. The devil wants to knock you out of the game. But what we can do to combat him is to be alert. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and 6, Paul tells them in that church, therefore let us not sleep. Look at somebody, tell them, wake up. He says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch, wake up, be sober, be vigilant. All words that describe the position we as believers in the community at the Jesus Company have to have at all times. In this changing society of ours, and things aren't necessarily changing for the better, you need to be alert. 
You need to be aware. You need to be ready to combat the things that the enemy is doing in the world. And as a community of believers, we need to be alert. We need to be aware. And here's the reality. If we're aware of only what's happening in here, we'll miss what we've been called to. If we're aware of only what, what's going on in here, if we're aware only of our culture in here, of what we do on Sunday morning, of what we do in our groups, of what we do at camp, of what we do uh, in, our, in our staff meetings, of what we do in our volunteer service, if we're only aware here, we'll miss what we came for. We came to reach. We, we came to reach. We, we, didn't, we didn't come to huddle. We came to reach. There's a penalty for being in the huddle too long. That we came to get in the game and to reach. Okay, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Back in the day, back in the day when Mike Tyson was in his heyday. Y'all remember Mike Tyson when he was sane, right? Y'all remember? I don't know if Mike's ever been sane. I don't know that he's ever been sane. But, but, but you remember Mike before the tattoo on his face. Uh, he was a boxer. He was a boxer before he was whatever he is today. He was a boxer. And, and, and we used to watch these Mike Tyson fights. And I was a kid when Mike was in his heyday. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was a kid and my, my parents and, and my cousins and my uncles and all of us would get together and we want to watch the Mike Tyson fight. And so what would happen is you get everybody gathered together and you know what happens, the undercards are going. So you kind of get bored with the undercards. You start just really enjoying the party. You start enjoying the chips and the salsa. You start enjoying the punch. You start enjoying the games. You start enjoying the dominoes and the spades and the cards. I don't know, whatever it is you're playing. Phase 10 or whatever it is that we might play today, right? You, you're enjoying all the stuff that's happening at the party. And, and here's what would inevitably happen. Mike was getting ready to fight. All the undercards are, are over. And we would huddle up and say, oh, the fight's about to start. The fight's about to start. Now, if you were smart when Mike Tyson was fighting, you wouldn't move. Because here's what would happen. If you were not smart, you would say, you know what? I'm going to go back in the kitchen and make me one more plate. I'm going to go back in the kitchen and make me one more plate. Those nachos were off the chain. Those, those trash can nachos. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Inside joke there. I'm sorry for the rest of y'all who are here. But those nachos were off the chain. I got to go make me one more plate of nachos. And so when you go in there, you, you're making a plate of nachos, and you're getting yourself ready, and you're saying, yeah, I'm going to watch this Tyson fight. Tyson's going to be on. He's going to knock this dude out. And you're singing to yourself, nachos are great for me. And you're doing all your thing. And you're putting your plate together. And you got your little drink. You got your fork together. You start balancing because you know you always eat too much at a fight party. You're balancing all the stuff that you got, and you turn around, and all of a sudden, all you hear is, oh, and you drop your plate, and you run, and you say, what happened? What happened? And they say, Mike knocked him out. <laughs> Watch this. You came for the fight, but you missed it because you were focused on something else. You became so focused on, on the supplement that you missed the actual thing. You became so focused on the thing that was designed to help you enjoy the, the fight, to help you enjoy the party, that you actually missed the thing that you showed up for. Can I tell you that if we get so focused on what we do in here and don't go out there and reach, we'll go out one day, Jesus will have come back and we'll say, Lord, what happened? He says, you missed the fight. You missed your purpose. You missed your calling. You missed your destiny. You missed what I'm calling you to. You missed being a world changer. You missed being a destiny shaper. You missed being the purpose of the person of faith. You missed it. We get good food in here. We eat well in here. But it's fuel for the fight. 
It's not for us to sit in here and get fat, but it's for us to get fueled for the fight. We need to be alert so we don't miss the main thing, focusing on some other things. Second thing we need to do, though, is we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. The first word Paul charges us with is to watch. But the next word he uses, he says, stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Be faithful. The next thing Paul encourages us to do is to stand fast in the faith. Most other translations, you might read, stand firm. My New King James says, stand fast in the faith. Most translations say, stand firm. The word literally means to maintain. To, to maintain, to, to remind yourself of why I do what I do. To, to remind yourself of who it is that I serve. To remind yourself, like Paul does in the 15th chapter of this same book, of the gospel that you received when you first got it. Well, what is it that you really believe when you first came to Jesus? Did you really believe that those who believe would be saved and those who wouldn't would find eternal judgment and damnation for eternity? This is why we're realizing eternal and community hope. Because the reality is what we're standing firm on is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message that changes everything. One of our greatest weapons against the enemy is our perseverance. From Joseph to Job to Jesus, the reality is the enemy's trick has always been to get us to quit before we realize the results that God has for us. The, the enemy always wants you to stop short of what it is that God has called you to. He always wants you to stop short of where it is that God has shown you that you could go. But the problem is when you don't stand firm in the faith, when you find yourself in a position of weariness and not perseverance, when you find yourself in a position where you want to sit down instead of stand up, when you find yourself in a place where you want to find yourself wavering on the message that God has given you. Okay, let me see if I can illustrate this. Uh, I've been trying to get healthy, and so uh, uh, your, your staff did me no favors last night. They did me no, no favors. They took me out. We had a good time, and I enjoyed it, and now I'm stuck on a couple of places that every time I come to town, I got to go to, and it's doing me no favors. But what I know I need to do is when I get home, I got to continue my journey by getting on the treadmill. Now, now, when I get on the treadmill, here's the thing about getting on the treadmill. I hate riding the treadmill next to my wife, but I need to ride the treadmill next to my wife. I'll tell you why. When I get on the treadmill, I punch in a time, excuse me, <clears throat> that I'll be on the treadmill. And so when I punch in the time that I'm on the treadmill, you know, you get to walking on a treadmill. And you get to doing your thing at your speed. And then you get your incline in. And then you get your speed up. And so you keep going. And so what happens is, inevitably, let's say I'm on the treadmill, 25 minutes. I like the count down thing because it shows me how much I got left. And it gets smaller versus the count up. Because when I'm looking at the count up, it's like, man, I haven't hit 25 yet. I'm still on here. It's only 16 minutes. Oh, my God. But when I'm going down, I'm like, man, 16 minutes left. But here's the problem. Here's what inevitably happens. I get to a place about 15 minutes in, and there's about 10 minutes left that I say 15 minutes was a good workout. 15 minutes is good. I mean, the, little, the machine is telling me that I burned 102 calories according to my age and my weight. It's telling me, you burned 102 calories at this distance and at this, at this particular speed and this particular incline. And I'm thinking, 102 calories is good. It's a 100-calorie snack. 
I can do that. I can get done with this. I can get off of this thing now. And so what happens is I eventually have to make a decision whether it is that I keep going or I stop. Remember, this is the culture of the company now that, that we're, we're, we've got to be faithful. That when I'm on there, I have been charged to go 25 minutes. But with 10 minutes to go, I don't feel like moving anymore. That, that with 10 minutes to go, I'm ready to give up. And the times when I give up with 10 minutes to go, I always feel guilty. I walk around the gym and I lift weights, but I just feel a little bit of laziness on me. I feel like something's taking over. And then what happens is, though if my wife is next to me, this is why you need community. And this is why the community of believers is so important. And this is why this has to be our culture and not just something that I live internally, but I live in group and in context with other believers. Because when my wife is on there and I start breathing a little hard, and I start looking, I get that look on my face and my eyes get droopy and my mouth starts to sag. And you know how you get, you know how it is. And you just can tell that it's just not, you're not gonna finish. You're not even walking on a treadmill anymore. You're pushing yourself up on the sides of the rail. You know what I'm talking about. And she sees that with 10 minutes to go and she looks and she says, you got this, babe. Oh, oh yeah. When you're the one that's tired, it's not, ah. be quiet, you skinny, sir. Yo, she, she's all skinny and fit, and she's just going, it's not, ah. it's like, you have this body and do this. But what it does is, it gets me motivated. Because I say, if she's going to go, then that little bit of testosterone kicks in. If she's going to finish, I'm going to finish. We're in this together. I'm not going to quit. My knees get a little higher. My breath gets a little deeper. My head comes up higher. My lungs begin to expand. And I finish because she's encouraged me to be faithful. And this is what we've got to do for one another. This journey is not easy. This journey is not short. But together, we've got to stand fast and firm in the faith. Be faithful until the end. This thing is like a treadmill and the enemy wants you to quit, to quit before your time is up. He wants you to quit before you realize it. Then he'll shame you for getting off the treadmill. He'll shame you for stop reading your Bible. He'll shame you for not coming to church. He'll shame you for not sharing your faith. He'll shame you for not living the way that you're called to. But if you stand firm, the Spirit says that there are other believers who will encourage you as the day approaches. He said there are people around you who live in context and community with you that will encourage you to get the job done. Howler, be faithful. Be faithful. Faithfulness means you hold on to your faith and your freedom in Christ even when it feels easier to let them go. It means that I believe even when it feels good to believe. I believe even when I don't feel like I'm in freedom. I believe even when it gets difficult. Third thing is be brave. Be brave. Be brave. Staying alert and being faithful ultimately lead us to a place of bravery. I don't know if we have any first responders, police officers, firefighters, military people in the house, but I honor you, I honor you. I honor you because, because yeah. Because while, while we're busy running from fires, you run to them. While, while we're busy running from or calling you to handle our emergencies, you're running to solve the problems. While, while, while we're begging you to protect our freedoms, you're fighting to save them. 
But the reality is, I, I honor you because of your bravery. Can I tell you, as a church, we're called to be spiritual firefighters? That the world that we live in is a messy place. That the world that we live in is on fire. That, that, that it is burning. As a matter of fact, Jude tells us in the evangelistic context that we are to snatch those from the fire. Save them, snatching them from the fire. We are spiritual firefighters. We are not called to run from the world. We are called to run straight headlong into it and snatch people out of it. That it is your job to be brave. It is not our job to run from the situations of our world. The immorality of the world, we don't run and hide. We go and grab it. The injustices of the world, we don't run and hide. We go and grab people out of those things. When we see inequality, we go and snatch people out of them. Why? Because we are spiritual first responders. Christ has given us what he calls, what, what the Bible says is the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's like wearing the badge on the uniform. It's like wearing the, the protective uh, uh, force seal. And you say, this is what I've been sworn to do. I am a spiritual first responder. And it's our job to go into those places where people are and snatch them from the fire. We are called to this level of bravery. We are not to run from culture and the people in it. We are to immerse ourselves into the, uh, the communities that we're in and invest in relationships. And most times this is messy. For us to have to get involved with people's lives and get involved with what they're doing. But can I tell you something? That messes are the foundation of miracles. That if things weren't messed up, we wouldn't need God to do a miracle. If things were all put together in an order, it would be the way that he called it. We wouldn't need miracles. That would be normal. But because things are messed up, we need, a, we need miracles from heaven. And what miracles are made of are messes. Joshua 1, 6 through 9 say, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, watch this, be strong and very courageous. He says, be strong. And very courageous, be brave, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn, to it, turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Here it is. He says it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. And of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can I tell you that the miracles Joshua was about to experience could not take place if he had not heeded the advice to be brave. The Lord says you have a right to be brave because you've got the one who with you who can uh, handle all obstacles. Who, who can overcome all problems. I don't have to be afraid, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And here's what he literally says. You can be brave in the midst of chaos. You can be brave in the middle of, 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 of calamity. You can be brave when things around you are falling apart. Here's what he told Joshua, and he's saying the same thing to us today, because I am with you. Think about it. God, God is with you. The promises and the purposes of God, the promises and the purposes that God has planned for you, excuse me, require you to be brave, but they also require you, uh, according to what Joshua 1, 6 through 9 said, to be strong. And according to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, the next word he says is to be strong. 
Now, along with bravery, we need to have strength. Notice the command of Joshua is to be strong and courageous. If you're going to be brave, you better be strong. If you're going to be brave, you better be strong. I'm not talking about push-up strong. I'm talking about character strong. I'm not, I'm not talking about weight bench strong. I'm talking about character strong. Strength is proven when you choose to do right, even when it's accepted and expected for you to do wrong. I'm going to say that again. Strength is proven when you choose to do right, even when it's accepted and expected for you to do wrong. Whenever I'm fasting, inevitably, somebody comes along that wants to offer me something that I ain't eating. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was faithfulness that led me to it. It was bravery that told me to go out and hang out with my friends even though I was fasting. But it's strength that keeps me in the middle of it. And can I tell you that it's, it's faithfulness to God that leads us to go out and want to fulfill the mission. It is bravery that tells us that we'll walk into a culture that is antithetical to everything that we learn in this place, but it is strength that is gonna keep you. You need to be strong and courageous. You need to be a person of valor. You need to be a person of character. That comes from getting the word of God deeply rooted on the inside of you so that when the world hits you, you may weeble and wobble, but you never fall down. Y'all remember those back in the day, those little machines that were weighted on the bottom, and when you did was you punched it, and it might have Pop right back up. This is the type of strength that God is asking you to have. He's not asking you to, to run away from it. He's telling you to be brave and go headlong. Take the punches. Take the abuse. Take the things that the world is giving you. Take the ridicule. The ridicule for us is nothing like it is in other places. We just get less likes on Facebook. Don't even get me started. I'm running out of time. The reality is we've got to take the punches. But here's the thing, when I'm weighted on the inside, I may weeble and I may wobble, but I'm not falling down. I'm popping back up because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got to be strong. But the final thing that he's called us to in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14 and he takes the whole verse for this one. Every other one is in 13. He says, watch, stand fast uh, in the faith, be brave, be strong. And I know the verses weren't written by Paul. Somebody just said it when I said he takes the whole verse. He didn't write the verses. I know. But I think this is important, that even the verse dividers got this right. That one verse alone is dedicated to this one thing, be loving. Yeah. That, that one verse is dedicated to this one thing. Let all that you do be done with love. Watch this. The first four terms that Paul uses are actually military terms. Be alert. Be, be, uh, be faithful. Be brave. Be strong. Military terms. He says these are the terms that you're going to fight with. These are the terms that are going to cause you to get ready to go and fight. But here's the thing. If I sent you out there with the first four without the last one, you'll be abusing your mission. Because people aren't our enemy, they're our mission. If I sent you into the war zone and you begin to drop bombs in the places where you were actually supposed to rescue, you'd be guilty of killing the very people you were called to save. And this has been the problem with the church. We've been bombing the wrong places. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
We wrestle against spiritual wickedness and, and things going on in the heavenlies. And the reality is we've been accusing people. Those, them, they. Get that out of your vocabulary. Start pointing in another direction and start saying the thing that's behind them, the thing that's behind what they do, the thing that's behind what those people are, are believing. And I need to snatch those people out of the, the line of fire so that when I drop a bomb of intercessory prayer, when I drop a bomb of evangelism, when I drop a bomb of, of, a, of a nuclear uh, spiritual weapon, it hits the right target. That's Satan and his imps. That's the demonic realm. And that's me knocking them out of the way and rescuing the people that he's had in bondage. Joshua, first John, excuse me, four, seven through eight says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. We, we do everything in love because our cargo it's fragile. And trying to get them from there to here is a difficult task at times. And when we do it abusively, we sometimes bruise the fruit that we're supposed to bring into this place. Jude chapter 21 verse 23 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And I, read, I quoted this for you earlier, and some have compassion making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. When we express the love of God, we are ensuring that we are seen as instruments of deliverance to those who are in darkness. They are not our enemies. They are our mission. The problem is they have believed a lie. And, and one of my favorite TV shows is a show called Martin. It's not spiritual. Don't look it up if you're looking for a spiritual show. It's a comedy starring Martin Lawrence, Tisha Campbell. Martin, somebody said it. Um, and one of my favorite episodes on this show called Martin is a show where Martin and his wife are, 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 are trying to get life insurance. As a matter of fact, it's not Martin. Gina is trying to get life insurance for Martin. Gina's his wife. Gina's trying to get life insurance for Martin. And his mother, Martin's meddling mother, comes to their apartment and she overhears her talking to the insurance man about, about the insurance policy. And, and she hears him say, if he's dismembered, you'll get this much. If he dies, you'll get this much. And Martin's mama, because she's an overprotective meddling mother, goes back and tells Martin, Gina's trying to kill you for insurance. And Martin, not knowing the full context of what's happening, begins to become paranoid. At first, what his mother has said, what she's whispered in his ear, is just a seed, but it's not necessarily something that he believes fully because he knows Gina loves him. And so his point is to go home and to see and investigate. When he gets home, he realizes that Gina's not there, but she's left the oven on with nothing in it. And he says, is she trying to blow the house up? She's trying to kill me for the insurance money. Martin then calls his boys over. He calls over Tommy and Cole. And he says, man, I think Gina might be trying to kill me for the insurance money. Tommy and Cole tell Martin, they, they, they say, Martin, that's not true. That's got to be a lie. But then they see the amount that Gina is going to get if Martin dies. He says, for $3 million, Martin, I'd kill myself. <laughs> and so now Tommy and Cole are believing the lie 
And then Martin goes over to the cabinet and coincidentally, a big Costco-sized can of pork and beans falls out of the counter, almost hitting Martin in the head. And Martin's convinced now that Gina's trying to kill him. Gina invites Martin over because she needs him to sign the insurance paper. She tells Martin, come home early, Martin. I'm going to cook you a dinner. Martin is now on high alert, but he's believed a lie. And when he gets into the house, he's looking at everything that, that, that uh, Gina has prepared and everything that Gina has set up. She's got steak and biscuits and gravy and, and, and potatoes, and the, the meal looks delicious. And Gina's doing it because she loves him, and she wants to give him a proper meal and then present to him a plan that will, that will ensure life after death. But Martin's believed a lie. And so even her actions to prepare for him a great place to come and enjoy a good meal has been misconstrued and is seen as manipulation because Martin's believed the lie. Come here. The world has believed a terrible lie. They have believed that the God of the universe is just out to get their money. They believe that the people of God are here to, to put rules and regulations on them, to put boundaries on them, to put them in a place where they cannot enjoy themselves. They have believed the lie. Somebody reinforced the lie. Maybe circumstances like the pork and beans falling out of the cabinet have created a place where they now believe the lie. If God was so good, then why did my mama die? If God was so good, why do babies get killed? If God was so good why do we have wars and rumors of wars and here's the thing we know the truth we know that God loves us we know that he's prepared for us a life after death and the only thing we're trying to do is reach 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 so that they can come into this place where we've prepared a romantic evening between this really a morning it's not an evening but we prepared this romantic morning with beautiful light ambiance and great music and good food so that when they come in here, they can eat. And then at the end, we can say, listen, what I need you to do is all of this was cool, but that's not the point. I want you to give your life to Jesus. Ensure that after your death, there is something that, that is me, that, that, that's been left. Something that your life meets that you can have eternity even after this life is over. That Watch this. They don't even have to sign that Jesus has signed it with his blood and the only thing they have to do is receive what it is that he's done. The world has believed the lie but we know the truth. In fact, some of you, all of you, if you're in this room, you used to believe the lie. You used to think that God didn't love you. You used to think that he was a manipulator. You used to think that God just wanted your money. You used to think that if God was so good, then why then? But one day you believed and heard the truth and it made you feel silly about what you used to believe. But now you can't help but tell everybody you meet about the love of Jesus, the love of God. And that's got to be our community culture in the Jesus company. One of love. One of compassion. One where we give people this life-giving message of Jesus Christ and usher them back into the hope that lasts beyond this life. I'm telling you today that God has called you to be alert, be on watch. Be faithful, stand firm in the faith. Be brave, be strong. But above everything, let everything that we do be done with love. Watch this. The overflow of the love that's been poured unto you should overflow into others. There's no way that you can say that you've received the love of God, like actually received it, and then not start oozing out of you into the people you come in contact with. 
This is what it means to reach. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we get ready to close this service, one of the things that, 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 that I'm convinced of is that everybody in here finds themselves in a place where one of these areas of our culture needs to be improved. And so I need you to do business with God. Do business with God. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, hey, I need to be more faithful. I need to be strong. I need to be more alert. I need to be more loving. I need to be more faithful. I need to be more brave. Whatever it is, accept it and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. Here's the other thing, though. The other thing is, everyone in here knows someone who can benefit from this culture. Now, after you get you off your mind, put someone else on your mind. And allow the Holy Spirit to give you the manifestation of the culture to go out and to reach those people with this message. After I'm done praying, the altar team's going to come. And there'll be an opportunity for you to come and pray. Maybe, maybe for you to receive more boldness. Maybe for you to receive more bravery. Maybe for you to receive that loving spirit that's necessary for you to share the gospel with those who are around you. But don't, don't just sit there and, and do nothing. Respond to the Holy Spirit as he's moving today. Whether it's from your seat, whether it's at this altar, respond to the Lord today so that we can fulfill the vision that God has placed on this house to reach to reach our community, to reach the world, to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what it is that you're doing in this house, for how you're moving even in the hearts of your people. God, allow them to respond to your word. Holy Spirit, draw every single person who needs prayer, who needs encouragement, who needs uh, something from you today. Let them move, God, in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.